the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Welcome to Wine Women Radio, where we discuss what we're drinking and what's happening in the wine industry. Pour yourself a glass and enjoy the show. Well, hello, everybody. This is Wine Women Radio. I'm Marsha Maycumber, your primary host today, because some of our other regular hosts are off dealing with graduation for their families uh, right now. So it's real busy here in wine country with students and family members graduating. So um, we've, we've got a little different team here today, but it's still going to be quite the fun show. Sitting with me today, Alexandra Romanini. Hello, Alexandra. Hello, Marsha. Thank you for having me here it's, today. It's great to have you with us. So uh, Alexandra works with... Uh, Canahan Family Wines here in Sonoma, and she's going to help us taste through some really fantastic single vineyard designate wines from our guest today, Julie Lunger. How are you? I am fantastic. Good it is go. great to have you with us today, Julie. So uh, we're, we're actually going to dig right in and then go back to Julie's background a little bit later. Uh, Julie is the consulting winemaker for J. Moss Winery. And we have got a flight of her fantastic Cabernets in front of us, but we're actually going to start with her rosé first, which has got a stunning, beautiful color, which nobody can see through the podcast airwaves, so to speak, or on their computer. But this has just got a beautiful, beautiful color. Julie, kick us off and tell us a little bit about this. Fantastic. Thank you again for the chance to be here and to taste with you guys today. What we're going to be doing is sharing a portfolio with horizontal and vertical tastings of Cabernet Sauvignons from Napa Valley Select Vineyards from the J. Moss Wines Collection. But because it's a gorgeous, gorgeous May 31st, it we're is. going to use the one thing that we make, which isn't Cabernet or Chardonnay. It's our gorgeous rosé. It's from Sonia, and I, before everybody goes, ooh, a Sonia rosé, <laughs> I will mention that um, this one gets a lot of love from sommeliers. This is a Sonia rosé, which has then been very carefully worked using a number of proprietary techniques to make sure that we don't have rosé that tastes like it was meant to be harvested when we bring in our Stag's Leap Cab. It actually tastes more like a Grenache-based rosé. It sure than does. A rose. It sure does. But it's 100% Cabernet Sauvignon Sagne. Kid you not. Well, it's stunning. And first thing we should do is probably a clink. Happy it's Friday for us, which is great. And uh, we are we are working through our our podcast recording right now. And so uh, going into the weekend, we really want to be able to enjoy all of this. And uh, so. First thing for listeners who may not know, Saunier, it's to bleed. This is a ble- It's a you know. There's several methods of making rosé. Mm-hmm. Uh, Saunier is one of them, and it's a matter of choice which way that you want to do it. This is lovely. I think you're absolutely right. That is absolutely like Grenaches. It's fresh. It's light. It's very um, acid driven, and you'll note that. I want to show you a little, I brought you a surprise. Guess the vintage from tasting it, then look at the label on the table. I would I would guess that it was a 17 or an 18 because it's so fresh. Well, you but might want to look at the label. It's a 16. <laughs> I was inspired. I was inspired by a recent article by Antonia Galani in Venice mm-hmm. about talking how a lot of well-made rosés are actually delightful when they're ever so slightly aged. And the, I like to, you know, surprise people and not point out the vintage till they've already noticed how fresh, crisp, and gorgeous the wine is. But yeah, there's a, there's a lot of care that we put into our Saunier-based Cabernet Sauvignon Rosé. And uh, I think it belies some of the myths about what Napa Valley Rosé can taste like. Right. Yeah, so anyway, this is... Uh, from a hue standpoint, I would call this, it's not ballet pink, but it's definitely a very pleasing light peach, you know, a blushing apricot, very, um, a nice pale color. And as far as food pairings, if you like anything more on the ethnic food spectrum with good spice, think about Thai, think about Chinese, think about Mexican, and this absolutely adores a charcuterie platter. 
oh, the yeah. acid as well as the structure provided from you know our Saunier process actually just marries up well with those foods that have a little bit more force to them. It also, as you can tell, though, is light-pleasing and a great summer sipper. Oh, yes, completely. Tell me about the Saunier way of making wine, will you? That's John Myers from the winemaker stepping in. Well, um, regarding Saunier, you know, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Every vintage is different, (laughs) especially with Napa Valley Cabernet Sauvignon. For example, in 2015 and 14, because of the drought pressures in the vineyards, we did not make one drop of rosé because the fruit was so naturally concentrated. Most of the berries on the clusters were about the size of my pinky fingernail and tops, maybe one of my other smaller fingernails. Those are small grapes. Yeah. Really small grapes. So the skin-to-juice ratio was incredibly low, and therefore there is no need to, you know, it's not a recipe. It's a judgment based on vineyard and vintage every time. So at J. Moss, the rosé is our treat from Sanye. If we happen to be given a vintage where there's enough of a grape and uh, grape juice to skin ratio that it justifies pulling off a few gallons per ton. When, of course, we hand sort the clusters, then we berry sort on the table, and then right after we sort everything, at that point we would pull the saunier before the skin contact of the grapes has had too much time to give color to the juice. And therefore you see this lovely little fresh color it's not like we pull it from the tank a few hours later. We actually pull it on the crush pad in that moment. And that also helps dial down, even with a mature, gorgeously ripe Cabernet. It helps you not get so much of the phenolic load because I was you're say. minimizing the amount of skin contact before the juice is pulled. So you start with a much more balanced creature. And when we pull the chemistry, just off, for example, the cold soak of the Cabernet Sauvignon as we're making it, compared to the Rosé Saunye, you wouldn't, you know, without a trained eye, be able to recognize that those had come off the same pick because the starting chemistry is so different in the way that we approach it and get on it very quickly. And we also, of course, keep it very cold. We stir it on the lees, and we make it in stainless steel, and we like to bottle it young, fresh, and then give it time to age in bottle. It's it's absolutely delicious, and I know my personal experience with rosés of Cabernet Sauvignon is relatively limited, but most my experiences, most of them are more tannic. Yes. Um, it, it strikes me as just a tricky wine to make. I don't know. Have you made any rosés, Alexandra? I have made rosés, and most of our, our rosés are sangre, mm-hmm. and so we bleed it off the tank, but the... We use uh, Pinot Noir and Syrah grapes at um, Canahan family. And uh, sometimes a Syrah will have some uh, Viognier in there for the co-fermentation. So it could be have a little Viognier. They'll also pick up on the nose. Um, this view, um, rosé I find very delightful. It's, it's got a great body structure. Uh, the color is, is, I'd say, medium dark. It's not very light, light, but it's not a heavy rosé that you think it's going to be a cab. Um, and it's got some, like a strawberry patch out in the sun, you know, a little dusty, a little fresh, oh, yeah. fresh fruit. It's very nice. Yeah. yeah, I definitely pick up strawberry as well. So, so fantastic. Thank you for bringing this. A yeah. 2016 rosé of Cabernet Sauvignon. And so I take it, as you, as you mentioned earlier, this doesn't happen every year at J. Moss Winery. You don't yeah. get to produce them because the weather may not produce the conditions in which you want to make right. a rosé. And I might so. actually say I'm delighted in years where we don't make it because it means that we're going to have such incredible low skin-to-juice ratio. We're going to have intense flavored berries. But, you know, if Mother Nature doesn't give you that in the vineyard, then this is an incredible and time-honored tool from many continents of grape and wine, grape growing and winemaking traditions. Saunier is truly as old as you know the craft mm-hmm. of winemaking, and yeah, I feel like it's a wonderful solution. And again, there's never a recipe; it's a judgment call, vineyard by vineyard, vintage by vintage, on how you want to on the crush pad when you bring in the fruit put that level of concentration back up before you start your ferments. Right. So, yeah, we just got lucky. We actually got 100 cases in the 16 vintage because wow. we had nice. a number. What a treat. 
a number of single AVA programs have contributed to this. So in your glass, you'll be drinking the Howell Mountain AVA, <laughs> Rutherford AVA, Oakville AVA, Coombsville AVA, as well as a little touch of Oak Knoll. So there you go. So for for folks listening, you know, you don't have the advantage. Julie brought with her a wonderful Napa Valley Vintners um, topographic map of the Napa Valley region. Um, and you pretty much recited, I think, almost exactly uh, north to south through the valley, um, the various AVAs, the American Viticultural Areas, um, from which this rosé comes from and, and was blended together mm-hmm. um, from those different vineyards. So it, it's delightful, and it's a great summer coiffer. Uh, and we'll just go with a, a great number of wonderful dishes to enjoy. What came to mind to me, probably because I was just talking to a client about their Eastern Mediterranean dishes, was that this would go great with a lot of Eastern Mediterranean <laughs> dishes. Yeah. So, um, huge number of choices there. So, yeah. thank you for bringing that. No problem. All right. So, your signature work here is with Cabernet Sauvignon in Napa Valley from various specific vineyards, and you brought this delightful uh, flight of four for us. Why don't you introduce it to us, and we'll taste through each one. Fantastic. Um, Again, I think it's important to start with the story of the Moss family and understand what they are going for and how long we've been working together. With Jay Moss, our focus is single vineyard is the highest expression and the long-standing relationships the Moss family has with a lot of our growers is really something to be proud of. For example, two of the wines that we'll be drinking today are in their seventh and ninth vintage respectively being single vineyard designates. Um, James and Janet founded the winery back in 2001. I started working with them as their consulting winemaker for Chardonnay in 2010, followed by 2012 vintage coming in across the entire program. Yeah. And as they say, many hands make light work. <laughs> so that's why we have, you know, we've been steadily growing our little jewel box of lovely single vineyard wines, as well as some AVA tier ones, which are delightful. But I thought the best way to get to know J Moss wines in a glass would be to look at, first of all, a vintage horizontal twice okay so horizontal being we're going to look at same vintage same big picture ava napa Mm -hmm. valley napa valley but then we're going to go to specific vineyards within key avas so the first thing we're going to do is a library flight of 2013 stephenson vineyard from coombsville ava and the right. Spicer Vineyard from the Stagsleep District. Right, just to the north. Exactly. Not too far. And I think you're really going to get to see. Um, I love doing horizontals because it shows that place matters in winemaking. Because I promise you the amount of hard work and the style in which we ferment and whatnot, those are all very consistent. James and I work on the protocols together every year. And year after year, we're, again, extraordinarily consistent in the hands-on care that we give the wines. So this is... Also, because it's unblended, this is 100% Cabernet in each right. of these glasses. Not a drop of Merlot, not right. a drop of Syrah. It is 100% pure. So you are going to get to see, for example, in that horizontal, you know, a Coombsville versus Stag's Leap photograph of Vintage 13, which is, of course, one of the best vintages Napa's had in years. And in your third and fourth glass, we're going to go one year further. We're going to go to Vintage 2014. And we will continue in the Stephenson Vineyard from Coombsville AVA in your third glass. Right. And in your fourth glass, we're going to go for another kind of, you know, big AVA comparison here. We're going to go to Rutherford and we're going to go to Mee Lane. Yeah. And if you're driving down nice. Highway 29, basically it's like behind Alpha Omega. So <laughs> All right. Right behind Alpha Omega. A little mental reference it. if you're okay. driving down Highway 29. So now we've gone with the last glass. We're as far up Valley as we're going to taste today. So I hope this will give you with the 2013 and 14 Stephenson, which are in glasses one and three, a fantastic opportunity to look at how the pressure of the drought years as 14 and 15 vintage came on. We were in the third and fourth year of the big California drought. And you can taste exactly why we didn't make rosé in those vintages, <laughs> because the level of natural concentration in these wines is incredible 
when the drought continued to march forward. And then you look at two, you know, famed AVAs, Stag's Leap 13 vintage here versus Rutherford 14 vintage. And, you know, a lot of people are familiar with great wines that are very much in the big Napa Cab style from those AVAs. But I think it's a great opportunity to look at, you know, like, the biggest, boldest expressions of our portfolio. But one in a drought year, what's really starting to express, and one which would be considered vintage 13, a picture-perfect vintage. So they're all gorgeous wines. It's really just a matter of, you know, what mood are you in? Right. And we're tasting under watch glasses today so we can swirl and amplify our aromatics. Exactly. So watch glasses, for listeners who may not know, are basically, oh, they're like, they look like little saucers, kind of, but they're, they're glass caps for your stemware, which is, keeps all the aromas contained in so it's a little easier to identify them and, and uh, tell the differences. Uh, because they they stay within the glasses, and certainly when you're when you're training or you're uh, working on your blending, I'm willing to bet you do a lot of this with watch glasses uh, in order to better discern the differences between the two. It does a great job of um, helping. I always say it's like putting the stereo on eleven. Yeah, you, know, you don't really want to listen to that all day. No. But if I'm going to have dinner, I'm pulling off the watch glass. But for a comparative tasting where we're really wanting to dig down into the nuance, I started using these back when I was in the food business and new product development and uh, working on spice right. blends. For we'll talk large... about your background in food a little later. Yeah, so basically, you know, ever since then, you know, when you're trying right. to check if, you know, your spice blend is the correct one, it's an amazing amplification tool. Yeah. It's also very handy if you're drinking outdoors under oak trees. <laughs> oh, my, my, my. Or you have a for bug situation for fruit flies. fruit flies. Exactly. Yeah, no, it's handy. So so I'm going to just say, to kick things off, um, comparing the two Stephenson uh, from, from uh, Coombsville, the 13 to the 14. The 13, uh, of course, I, I got a lot of uh, red and dark cherry, but also a fair amount of blue fruit right off the bat and it was and it was beautifully kind of softened it's all balanced and and the tannins are gentle and supple in that when i got to the 14 it was like boom <laughs> big the tannins are a little bigger the acidity everything was a little bit bigger it didn't get the blue fruit in the 14 the same way so with that alexandra what do, what do you want to say about the wines and so forth so I find that between the difference between the 13 and 14 quite, um, not only for the age where the tannins are a little more rougher and bigger on the 14 than the 13, but the 13 seems to have, it's got a more complete mouthfeel. It's much more approachable. And um, even though mm -hmm. it can be aged for many years, it's quite palatable and approachable to drink right now. Um, initially on, under the watch glass, I uh, got some aromas of some pine, but as it's coming along, it's... Uh, it's dissipating so it's quite nice this is this is some of the fun stuff you know is to get to try to pick out the aromas and and all the different elements that you can find um, within the wines uh, are you finding as they age that you're surprised Julie by the evolution of these wines as time passes well um Yes and no. I'm always delighted to show them, and I often show them again with the bottled dates turned around and let people <laughs> taste first, because uh, a hallmark of how I've made wine for 15 vintages, and James and I are very much in harmony on this, is we are all about controlling the dissolved oxygen pickup and total package oxygen, which means that imagine you were drinking this from magnum have you ever noticed how after about five years a magnum tastes a little more youthful a little more fruit forward than a 750 mm -hmm. ml bottle mm -hmm. you're basically because we bottle at a dissolved oxygen pickup standard that's closer to white wine with all of our reds you're kind of getting the impact of a magnum even in our 750s and if you think these taste youthful and have many more miles to go and bloom out you know, you should see how long it takes the magnums to show. This is why we double decant the magnums for parties. But <laughs> it's, um, it's a wonderful wine because that way, drink me now, it just means use a big glass and swirl. 
And if you want to drink it later, you're not going to have that disappointing problem that you get with some wines where you go back in five years and you've been waiting for that special moment and you dig into the case and you're like, gosh, this tastes tired. So we never have that problem with our wines. It's very much about building it for longevity and letting the person who buys our Cabernet control Mm -hmm. how much air they want to put in. Exactly. I mean, who can't leave their glass of wine open for a while and just swirl it on the dinner table? Right. Hey, where's my big glass? <laughs> That's right. That's right. Exactly. Lots of lots of different opportunities here. And now I've been trying the second one, which is the 2013 Spicer Vineyard uh, from Stag's Leap District. So this is coming from a vineyard that is north of uh, Stephenson. It's further up the Vaca Mountains. Um, and it's getting a little bit more heat to it in the summer weather. Am I right on that? Yeah, just a, li- just a little bit. In fact, the location of this in the Stag's Leap District, and I think a lot of people are real familiar if you're driving on the Silverado Trail and you mm-hmm. see that pyroclastic flow called the Palisades sticking out. Yes, of like the a Vaca sore thumb. Range. Yes, yeah, it's, it's like, beautiful. Wow, okay, I know the volcano blew up around here. And that pyroclastic flow provides a heat feature and can give some intensity in that part of the valley. We mitigate a little bit for the heat intensity of Stag's Leap because there is a small bump of a ridge, which is the one that Pine Ridge Vineyards is located on, on the opposite side of the trail. Uh And Silverado Pine Ridge and our vineyard Spicer line up right there. Oh, wow. So during the deepest heat of those long, hot days in July and August, we don't have quite as many degree days of direct sun on these vines. The other key to this wine is that this is some of the oldest plantings in the Stag's Leap District. Oh, wow. This was grafted over by the late Mr. Spicer in the early 70s. Oh, wow. And... It's taken a lot of love and work to keep this vineyard going, <laughs> but modified, modified cane pruning is the viticulture style that we're using to control for disease in these extremely old vines and get the ripeness up. And, you know, I don't know about you, I don't taste any of the kind of olive and herb characteristics you can frequently get from old vine Cabernet. What I get is espresso and like black chocolate cherry and just an incredible intensity in this wine and i think a lot of it has to do with how we handle the fruit but also how we've really coaxed the vineyard through many years of working with it and you know tried to control for disease pressure and you know try to get we don't push the yields yeah it's always disappointingly low so my notes on this were um it's interesting i got a little raspberry Right at the very front. Um, definitely, you know, really bright red fruit on that. But then also like a bit of uh, plum compote uh, and, and touches of blue fruit and everything. But like you said, it's very approachable. It has uh, a soft mouth feel to it. Um, and I was just kind of, I don't know, surprised at how much it had, um, I don't know, it, it, it mellowed in an age i mean you know it, it it's a few years old obviously at this point um but it's completely approachable and it also seems like it's still going to develop, develop and be something really interesting another five years from now how about you alexandra well, the color only is great it's got a great hue of a uh, brightness that it doesn't show any aging on the edges the tannins are are i'm much more uh, I appreciate the 13 of 14. You can really see the drought season, how the, the difference, for, mm-hmm, the difference in the flavor profiles and the mouthfeel. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to oh. say, I think you all may have either read our website notes or Googled this because it, I swear you all and wine spectator are paraphrasing each other. And may <laughs> I quote from Jim lobby at spectator, okay. <laughs> the, Taut fine grain tannins and excellent length drink now through 2032. It was 93 points in the spectator when it came out. But yeah, it's it's built to last, but it's very resolved in its youth. Well, believe it or not, I didn't read anything about the Spicer Vineyard because I only looked at the current releases, and this is a, this is a library wine. Yeah. So I didn't even look. <laughs> well, I'd say that you have a darn fine palate. Well, that I don't was know. A quick look. I bet that you're the, you know leaps and bounds beyond me, but this is. This is really fun to kind of go at and, and, like you said, compare the horizontal and the vertical of all these and to kind of 
uh, we're tasting up and down the valley a little bit too which is very fun to do and and find out what the differences are the hard part is that every winemaker like you julie um has different personal tastes and objectives for how they want to express the wine that they've got so there's so many different ways they can go about making the wine to make those choices for their objectives well i am going to say i always believe that collaborate collaboration is the best recipe and james and i spend a lot of time together on the blending table tasting barrels together having a healthy debating society and i really do believe that those discussions and the time we put into that process it makes us better and also um as you and i were talking before the show i'm a big believer in trials and testing (laughs) growing up through a different industry so yes a triangle test if you can get four out of five times that the difference is real now statistically you're correct so again patience is a virtue and testing your work against a tougher standard like blind you know double blinded tasting and triangle test it makes for better wine so i think we're we're pretty proud of you know we don't cut corners which is the name of the game exactly when you say triangle test what do you can you describe that please sure sure in fact um back to you know geeking out in winemaking i'm a big (laughs) believer in everything should not just be a circle of opinions although you can make some lovely wine you know just going yeah i like this one but if you consistently want to put yourself to the test because we all know our palates do move time of day you know whatever's going on in your life you know you want to know that your answer is correct so when you're doing something as important as for example cutting a nap of wine into a bottling blend you think about how much heart soul and money is on the table and it needs to truly be your best foot forward not just the one you voted for that particular afternoon in the lab so the triangle test is simply taking two are the same one is different it doesn't matter if it's different good or different bad but you randomize the numbers and then you and your fellow tasters taste the glasses in different orders so unlike today where we're tasting one two three four right we would all be starting on a different glass because tasting order can also create palate bias and basically the short math is if four out of five times you pick the one that's different consistently it's the fastest statistical way in sensory taste testing to get to a statistically valid answer of yes this is different and yeah the more tasters the merrier from a statistics standpoint but luckily a triangle test is something you yourself or you and a buddy can get to a very reasonable answer in a very quick amount of iterations so i think it's the gold standard for blending thank you that was that's really interesting to hear and a lot of cool stuff there alexandra i wanted to ask you your impressions on the fourth wine the me lane from rutherford it's uh, different from the others it is what 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 do you what would you like to say about it as you sniff away and give it a give it a good sample what do you think what do i think still young like um julie was Mm -hmm. saying most of these wines here can definitely be lied down for a good five to ten fifteen years easy even in more um i find it's the leaner of the of the four but it's very approachable it's got a great um bouquet on the front palette um i i would i would go with that too and it it seems to me that it really kind of dances across the tongue from the acidity i'm gonna use that um dances across the tongue yeah because it it, and i agree that you know i like the way that you put that alexandra about it's it's lean it's still it's still full-bodied but it's but i'm kind of going i have the feeling that there's a lot of characteristics that are going to come out in the next three years oh definitely you can see that there's lots of undercover flavors and and aroma profiles just waiting as time comes to come out. Right. Definitely. Like, you know, mocha and cassis and it feels like they're not quite they're they're not quite coming out yet, you know. They're they're hiding. <laughs> it's a prepubescent kind of awkward yes. but just waiting for its time yes, to show. Exactly. One so. of the ways I love to enjoy these 14s is you know how if you are pouring a glass for yourself and someone else and no one's had anything from the glass yet, you can do a quick 
decanting the easy and fast way versus dragging the out poppers the poppers decant. Yeah, just basically pour them back and forth in those big glasses, and all it takes is two or three pourbacks, and voila, you yep. have effectively decanted yeah. this wine. And it tastes like a rosebud right now. It's so tightly wound, and you can really see that this Melane has a blackberry core to it, black cassis, black currant. It's just got a string of black fruit running through this clone 337 Cabernet right there, you know, in the heart of Rutherford. But it blooms with that little bit of air, and you go from being almost a tightly closed black profile wine to bringing in essences of just a whiff of blue and a whiff of red fruit, but it's very much, I'd call it the blackest core outside of our Howl Mountain, which is kind of a black blue and almost lavender and graphite driven cab. And that one's not on the table today, but it's why we love making these single vineyard wines because they are so incredibly different. If I said, hey, can I mix you a case and send it to you? You'd be like, wow, I feel like I'm drinking from four different wineries because these yep. wines don't lay on top of each other. Yeah, They really do, I think, have some nice space in between. I would agree. They're all very distinct, very well presented as vineyard designates. A lot of fun. Well, Alexandra, I know you've got to get going because, you know, there's nothing like the wine world, and I know from talking from Julie about this while she's traveling, you're super busy. So I want to thank you for coming in today and participating on the podcast. It was really great to have you here. Well, thank you, and I hope to see you again soon. You, that would be great. Thank you for being here. And you can catch Alexandra with Canahan Family Wines here in Sonoma off of uh, Napa Road. We'll, we'll talk with you again on another show and dig into those wines Ooh, separately. that would be lovely. Ooh, thank cool. you. Cool, thank you. Well, we lost Alexandra because, uh, time permitting, it's all kind of a, a crazy thing. Um, but so now we're down to uh, Julie Hagler Lumger. I don't know. Do you use your middle name, your, your maiden name, I should say? Is it your maiden name or is it, it, is it your my middle name? name. Okay. Yeah. Uh, do, you, do you use that with a lot of, uh, on a day to day basis, or do you just use it for podcasts and mis mysterious PR purposes? <laughs> well, you know, the only reason I still use it on my business cards is uh -huh. because there were so many people who knew me from growing up who still. By my How wines, they hot find you. And yeah. from my first career in consumer packaged goods, right. they knew me by that name. Right. So I go by Julie ah. Lumgare in the wine business because that's my married name for the last 15 years. But, you know, half the world knows me one way. And when they half, half knows, knows the other. other so. And we're going to go back to your um, background in um, marketing for and brand management for um, consumer packaged goods and specifically food because you spent a lot of time with Del Monte. But I would like to go back to this Me Lane uh, 2014 Rutherford Cabernet Sauvignon. It's 100% from that vineyard, which I don't know that vineyard, but you already explained to us right off of 29 and all that. Um, for those who know Napa, um, that's right up the main drag, so to speak. Uh, it's really interesting wine. I, I did ag agree with Alexandra on it being kind of the leanest at the moment. But, of course, it's evolving the whole time that we're here recording this show. And Rutherford has some very unique characteristics to it. Um, something that sticks out to me is, is um, I generally feel like Rutherford has a unique acidity characteristic to it and I'm not sure what exactly I pick out from it but it's always a little bit different to me um, and you're pulling out your notes again and I don't and I didn't read anything about this wine so you have to tell me what you're thinking about oh, well you know I was just you know I think there's a really interesting thing going on in Rutherford and I always like to say that there's two Rutherfords there's the west side of highway 29 is the Rutherford bench mm -hmm. and then as you go into the middle of the valley you're getting into a different type of soil but it's not quite that simple uh just like never is exactly <laughs> napa valley being 31 miles give or take you know stem to stern when you're driving up mm -hmm. that road as many yep. of us have actually contains over 100 different soil types 
So, wow, what a challenge yeah, for, for vineyard managers and for winemakers. And I'm going to tell you, I actually didn't bring the sister wine to this 2014 <laughs> vineyard designate, but we have split this vineyard into four different picking zones and oh. ferment and watch them all separately in the winery. <laughs> and we created out of one style and profile based on the soils and the uh-huh. development and the shading and this and that, we created one type of wine and we call it our red label rutherford ava series uh-huh. it's a little bit more geared towards country clubs and restaurants uh-huh. because it is ever so slightly you know more price friendly for them mm-hmm. but of then course the, the me lane vineyard designate is you know the crown jewel of that vineyard and there's just a sweet spot in that vineyard where the fluvial soil has carried down so much rock from flooding over generations it creates kind of a gravelly strip the vines work known harder. as the brother for dust exactly there's a <laughs> there's an, there's basically a harder working section where the vines struggle more and remember we talked about the intense yes. focus of the mm-hmm. black fruit as well as that acid profile they're having to fight harder for you know, their ability to grow and ripen. And it means they don't overshoot the mark and get too ripe, too dumb, too fat and sassy and have their acid drop too fast. (laughs) So they're working harder. They're staying out there longer. And it's a magical side of the vineyard. The other thing I really like about this particular uh, Rutherford vineyard is it really respects the Rutherford dust. It had organic practices for years. They decided not to keep the certification, but most of the sustainable and organic practices endure in the vineyard. Yeah, and I, I know that's like been a big theme yeah. for Jay Moss yeah. uh, uh, to pay attention to those types of things. And James seems to have such a long history here in the Valley altogether that this has been something that he's paid close attention to as well. I mean, I, I count up the number of boot prints that the two of us would put in the combined number of vineyards that we're watching. And I think we could probably circle the county a few times because best fertilizer for a vineyard is winemaker's boot prints. Woohoo! Wow, with that, another little cheer. And I should take a little break to mention something a little bit about our host location, which provides us with this beautiful tasting room, private tasting room. And that is, we are here at the panel, the panel wine lounge. uh, And they also serve, they have beer on tap and they also have espresso, which is really kind of cool. Um, But they're here, for those who don't know, uh, they're at 535 West Napa Street in Sonoma, not to be confused with being in the town of Napa. It is called Napa Street here in Sonoma. And they are open Tuesday through Friday from 3 to 9 o'clock and on Saturdays from noon till 9 o'clock. The panel is a public wine lounge serving wine by the glass, draft beer, and espresso. They're also a small event venue with unique European-style space for your special event. It's a distinct global wine shop featuring West Coast wine and wine from France, Italy, Germany, Austria, Portugal, Australia, Chile, New Zealand, and points beyond. And I got to tell you, they have the cutest little wine shop uh, back at the front of the building. So it's well worth checking out. They also have an international wine club. Um, It's a great way to stretch your palate by tasting these different wines from so many different regions. Um, If you want to know more, just go to panelwines.com to uh, learn more about these. Um, They've actually been named one of the best wine clubs in the country by Sonoma Magazine and also by the California Winery Advisor. Um, So check them out. Again, it's panelwines.com. Um, We've got this beautiful private tasting room in the back, but at the front lounge, they have all kinds of fun things. And we're actually going to get to talk with them for another podcast coming up in the future. And we're going to talk with the owners because they've been doing this for a year here and it's really a lot of fun. So um, thank you for sharing your wines, Julie. These are just absolutely the most scrumptious cabs from Napa. We're going to do another clink because... Well, on behalf of James and Janet and Wesley Moss and myself, Woo-hoo! we thank you very much. Yes, And raising you. the glass right back at that you. That was fun. And it, and I, I, you know, what about... It's a true family operation. You're a little outside the family, but it started completely as a family operation. And then I was delighted to see that Wesley had 
gone away, but come back. And now he kind of splits his time between the family winery and the distribution uh, system that he works with out of Reno. Yes. Uh, talk, talk some more about the whole J. Moss winery history and uh, uh, the, f- the family's background. Fantastic. Well, um, James is, like myself, um, another Southerner, another fellow winemaking Southerner. <laughs> so we always say we talk funny, but we drink very well. And <laughs> he's a Texan. I'm a Tennessean. His wife, Janet, gets a little bit more sensibility and proper grammar in the place because she's a good Boston girl. And then their son, Wesley, is kind of the combination of the best of both worlds and a math genius. And uh, How all, convenient. Yes, and also uh, had a very, very successful college baseball career and really had he a lot... played for the Diamondbacks. He had a lot of hard choices to make about sports versus a different <gasps> type of career. But he has chosen to uh, stretch his math mind and is doing brilliantly in his career but it's always a ton of fun when he gets down to the winery during harvest Mm -hmm. and the key launch parties and other essential times of year like bottling because he brings then his strong tall friends and we get a lot of stuff (laughs) because yeah it's usually pretty quiet around the winery you know myself and James are mainly the ones on the floor Janet is a whiz of making the bigger picture and you know as the managing director she's got a lot of compliance a lot of accounting a lot of tax work a lot of customer service a lot of marketing manage the club as we all know it takes a village to pull this off as a family-driven winery but i love the way that with everyone keeping their piece of the puzzle well covered and then when we have something that makes the rest of us rise up there you go we team together but james and janet started this probably shouldn't say what famous large winery in the Carneros the first vintage in 2001 was made at because maybe um, no one knows but anyway (laughs) the first two barrels that launched the brand were definitely made in a noted cellar in the Carneros that had family connections and it turned out brilliantly and that's how the brand was born And in 2010, as things had continued to grow and be successful, James and Janet finally went ahead and got their own facility. And it's in the Crusher District, which is in the south end of Napa, just below town. An extraordinarily easy place to get to for people who are just coming up for daytime tasting. And for those staying in the valley, you know. It's a wonderful place to start or finish your day if you're going to finish down So let's make sure our listeners know for day tastings, Mm -hmm. you do offer Jay Moss Wines does offer by appointment tastings in a really super convenient area. And it's also very pretty there. There's tons of redwoods and pine trees and all kinds. It's a beautiful backdrop. It's a little... Uh, there's parts of it that you would describe as utilitarian, you know, like a little bit corporate parky, but it's beautiful. Well, the Crusher District is really special. There's about 26 mainly artisan wineries and then Mm -hmm. a couple of really large facilities that just have a very small footprint in the front and lots of cases in the back. But it's, uh, it's endorsed by the city of Napa as a very sustainable place to make wine because we deal with things you know, that are unsexy in winemaking, but are very essential, such as wastewater management, permits, this and that. It's a very, it's a very good place to focus your business where you're not taxing the resources of Napa Valley. And we always like to say, we put our money into the quality and the grapes and the barrels. And yeah, we don't have to do so much landscaping as if we had a castle on a mountain. But <laughs> not that we wouldn't enjoy one, but it's a wonderful place. And we have, we've been noted by many of our longtime fans as giving fantastic Southern hospitality. Oh. W- wonder that. Well, um, you know, it's usually... <laughs> it's in my, your blood, Julie. Myself, James, or Janet will be the ones taking care of you. There's right. nobody else on the front right. line. This is, this is very much a family operation. It is yeah. the family that provides the tasting appointments and the walk through the wines. So. And what's really special about that is it means that, you know, unlike somewhere else where you might be going and going to a tasting bar and having a lovely experience with someone's team member, you will always, when you have an appointment at Moss, be dealing with a principal. So That's very unusual. And someone who's been there from the mm-hmm. beginning and really has had their hands on every aspect. So, yeah. you know, we really, we pride ourselves on our work and we do love to do barrel tastings as well. Woohoo! 
stuff. Always the fun stuff. Yeah, it's, so I, it's fun. So I have to say, while you've been filling in our listeners on your background and the, the Moss family background, I have been dancing back and forth between the 2013s here, the horizontal between the Stephenson and the Spicer up from Stag's Leap. And the development has been very interesting to me. So, and maybe not too surprising for me because I am familiar with kind of the the evolution of, of what AVAs, you know, how they, uh, as they open, how they change. And I'm actually the least familiar, even though I used to live right off of Coombsville, I'm the least familiar with the wines of Coombsville. So although when we first tasted the 2013 Coombsville, I had a lot of blue fruit and again, very supple tannins, still very supple tannins, mm-hmm. um, beautiful mouthful that feel this, um, this opens really nicely. I always think of this as like the way people see coming out of like a river into like a long wide lake, you know, is when it gets to the mid mouth, but the, but the, um, uh, which was Stephenson, the Stephenson one, I'm getting less proof blue fruit now. Um, still more red fruit. Mm-hmm. Um, but now it's the Stag's Leap one, the one that came from Spicer Vineyard um, that I am I am getting um, ooh, a little bit more development of red fruit. Is It's becoming bigger. It definitely will continue to evolve and get bigger. I mean, often we will pour out a library flight and watch them move for hours mm-hmm. and then put them in the cold room and leave them and watch them move for days. <laughs> and that's actually one of the important tricks that we shake down the bottling blend with too. So you're definitely keying in on a hallmark of all of our J Moss Cabernet and um, Merlot collection, mm-hmm. which is just like a rose unfolding. And with the durability, it just, it keeps showing you something different and they look good at all points on that curve. It's really just, how do you want it? Yeah. And with the Coombsville in particular, I think you're noticing why when we're on the road in certain markets and tasting with psalms and chefs and whatnot, this tends to be a chef's darling, the (laughs) Coombsville series, because Coombsville being ever so slightly further down valley, it's not, you know, it's... It's definitely a warm, very favorable to Cabernet growing site, but it's more mitigated by the cooling breezes that come off of the bay and the fog that comes up and down Napa Valley tends to obviously give more coverage down valley than up valley because it's the last place it clears. Yes. Therefore, it is going to hold more acid and harvest later Mm, than almost any of our vineyards except for some of our mountain profile fruit. Okay. So you're going to see a lot of that bright acid profile. For people who visit the winery and taste with us and say that they've got collections that include, for example, Bordeaux, Super Tuscans, as well as Loving California wines, I always start them like on a triple vertical of Stephenson from Coombsville and even pull out the older library bottles because if you love acid, which tends to be more of a profile mark for some of those fine European reds. Yep, sure is. And therefore why it's a chef's darling. You can use this wine almost like you would a Pinot Noir as far as the assortment of foods that it will complement. It really, from a winemaker dinner planning standpoint, when I'm putting together, you know, how do you show four Cabernets at a dinner, plus a Rosé, a Chardonnay, and maybe a Petit Syrah? Well, very carefully. And you have to really get your lineup because the <laughs> chef's going to hate you if they all, oh, yeah, we want a meat course followed by a meat course followed by a meat course. <laughs> so I'm oh, really goodness. proud of how the Stephenson Vineyard gives it's us beautiful. so much flexibility. And you really can plug and play this with foods you'd traditionally pair with, you know, either blends or a Pinot Noir. Now, not that it won't hold up to a steak or your best lasagna recipe all night long, but it it has got so much range on it because of its acid profile. It definitely does. And it has a lower and alcohol. And ageability, too, yeah. which is a, a, a definitely a part of and all of that. And the alcohol is extraordinarily well-balanced. Again, you know, cooler profile, a little bit more breezes in the vineyard, higher acid. You know, it always tends to be a naturally self-regulating vineyard. We don't have to worry too much as we might if we were way up valley mm-hmm. in a hotter vintage about, you know, the alcohols becoming a factor. Right. But we work very, very hard to make sure the wines are balanced and we're definitely not a high alcohol house. 
which is great which we haven't really we haven't talked about that at all because of course that's just a a result um um, but it's definitely something that is in within your wheelhouse to control outside of what mother mother nature gives you so what is the range of alcohol on your wines in any given vintage, uh, for example, 17, as you remember, mm-hmm. was a little bit cooler. Yep. 18 was a little more cooler in degree days as well. So we've got things that are, you know, even 13, 9, 14, 2 from those vintages. Mm-hmm. But then in a hot vintage, like 15 or 14 with the drought pressure being up, yeah, 14, 4 to 14, 8. Maybe, I was going to say. <laughs> maybe maybe in Stag's Leap, 14, 9. Sure. But again, easily. You know, but I'm not, t- I'm not picking well that up at all. Very well balanced. Yeah. We definitely, super well we never have a problem or a pushback with people about our alcohol balance. Right. And you notice though that the wines are very thick, viscous, textural. I myself can't stand wimpy cab. I mean, if you're going <laughs> to, if you're going to drink Napa Valley single vineyard cab, go dear, whole hog, dear Lord, don't make it wimpy. You know, it's <laughs> got to have the body. It's got to have the breadth of the palate. It's got to have that gorgeous opulent nose and that really extended pleasing clothes. And I find texturally that all of these wines have some degree of silk going towards velvet. Oh my goodness, definitely. But my husband always jokes and says that he can chew the Stag's Leap and the Rutherford ones. And I'm like, well, they're not that chewy. But, <laughs> yeah, but they do have a very pleasing yes. and deep profile to them. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's, not, done by, it's not done by some of the right. devices where you can create mouthfeel. And yes, alcohol is a mouthfeel extender. There's a lot of better living through chemistry and there sure is about knowing which levers to pull and which ones not to pull. oh my goodness oh my goodness well this has been a lot of fun i want to definitely be sure to let our listeners know they can go to jmosswines.com in order to learn more about these wines or schedule an appointment to come by for a visit um, Jay Moss's uh, tasting room, of course, uh, you can come by is 901 Enterprise Way in Napa. It's in the Crusher District, as you said. By appointment. By appointment only. Definitely 707-647-3388. And uh, folks can also reach out, for example, hey, I'm social. Reach out on social media. Oh, yes. I'll connect you. De- most definitely. And I also want to make sure folks know that, um, Julie, you are out there on LinkedIn yes. uh, and respond to people and use it on a regular basis. So uh, you can just type in Julie Hagler Lumgar, L-U-M-G-A-I-R, uh, if you would like to ping Julie for some more information. Uh, it's been really great. And I want to thank you for being on the show. Thank it's you been so fantastic. much. It's an honor. And of course, cheers. Cheers, cheers, cheers. Thank you again. Ding dong. And we're going to have another podcast shortly.